sometimes, right? Where uh, it's the whole world that stinks and maybe there's something in us that we have to address. Listen, we are going to get into a dynamic part of Scripture today. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Uh, If you have a Bible, I want you to get there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we thought about you, especially if you're new. We're going to have the Scriptures up uh, and we're going to be reading and, and, and watching the beauty of Scripture unfold and how it's going to grab our emotions. But before we do that, I want us to pray. Would you pray with me? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for this opportunity to be able to open up your word, to be able to look into your word and be marveled by it. My prayer, O oh Lord, is that everyone here would be marveled, just blown away by your word. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as you start addressing those areas in our heart that need to be addressed, as we look and ponder on your word, Lord, that we would find a liberty and a joy, a freedom from the law, and a freedom in Christ. Lord, you are a gracious, holy God who wants to address every area of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that for those here, the married couples who are going through a very difficult, stressful time, Lord, my prayer is that you would draw them to focus and see Jesus. And Lord, for those here who are making decisions that are just going to hurt them in the future but feel good in the moment, Lord, I pray that you would steer them clear from that. For those here who are living a lie, Lord, who, who say that um, they're going in one direction but are actually going in another, who say they have uh, a certain amount of clean time but really it's something different, Lord, I pray that you would just touch their hearts, help them to be in the light as you are in the light. And Lord, I pray that as a congregation, we would fall deeply, deeply in love with Jesus. Father, I also pray that you would forgive me my sins. They are many. And that we would see Jesus and him only. And that you would be lifted up high. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So, um, first time, I'm, I'm, I kind of run on occasion. I'm not run, I don't run a whole lot in the wintertime because it's hard for me to run, but I usually I like to run. And so it's, it's one of the first ways that I started to get into exercise and all that other stuff. Well, the first time I ever did an actual race, um, you know, the kind of race that you go and you sign up for, you pay 20 bucks, Roadrunners Club kind of stuff, was this race called the Roberto Clemente 10K. The Roberto Clemente 10K. Now, the Roberto Clemente 10K was significant because of two things. Number one, it was 10Ks, and 10 kilometers is 6.2 miles. Uh, you know, if you didn't know that, neither did I. I had to actually ask somebody today to figure it out for me. But I knew it was more than five miles. So it's like, Roberto, uh, the, the 10K is 6.2 miles, and it's in the Bronx, the most ungodly place in all of New York. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, so no, but the Bronx, the Bronx is tough, especially if you're running, because it's really hilly. Anybody here ever been to the Bronx? Anybody here from the Bronx? Right? Yeah, right. We love you guys. Please come back again. So um, we forgive you. Um, but no, the Bronx is tough, man. It's really hilly, and it's it's hard to right. So they got me on this thing. Now here's the problem. The, the problem was is that I had only run five miles once before, and that was like two days or three days before I ran this 10K. But I had a friend, and his name was Dave, and Dave ran with me. Now, Dave was super runner, right? Dave was like 40-something years old, and he looked younger than me, and I was 20-something at the time. And he was super running. He was beautiful. He was just like, he really um, had this health thing down. He ate right. He ran. So he's like a marathon runner. And so he was going to sprint through this thing. This thing was nothing for him. 6.2 miles, no big deal. So he just, you know, he's like, I'm like, Dave, yeah, this is going to be great. He's like, all right, don't worry about it. I did, he, he warned me, don't try to keep up with me, you know, or anything like that. He didn't have to warn me. I wasn't going to try. He was gone. He was out like a shark. So he shoots out, and I'm like, you know, Dave finishes the, the race in about 25 minutes. 6.2 miles in like 25, 26 minutes. It's ridiculous. He's like breaking records, right? 
And so, I mean, he actually was, he wasn't even in the top 10. There's other guys who finished it in like 23 minutes. And it's just, they, these guys are, are, they run, right? They, they run like five, sub five minute miles and they just, they, they run, right? So I'm doing my thing and it's about nine minute miles and I'm going somewhere with this. I know you're thinking, what on earth does this have to do with Limburger cheese or Galatians 417? And I'm telling you, this is going somewhere. So, or maybe not, but we'll see. Um, it's entertaining anyway. So, um, so I'm running this thing. Now, Dave had finished at somewhere like 25, 27 minutes. It's about 40 minutes into the run and I'm not done. Right. And so I'm kind of going into this thing and I'm just do, 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 do. And so Dave runs back. He runs back like a mile. I was like a mile away from being done. And he runs back because Lord knows he had enough time to rest after his race. And so he runs back and he runs alongside of me and I'm a mess. I'm like, you know, have you ever like, you know, exercise and you look all retarded? I'm like, you know, I'm like running and I'm like just doing the best I can. And I look all messy and silly and foolish. Have you ever done that? Right. Like, you know, you work out and you say, yeah, you're going to do it. And you look like a retard and all that. Well, that was me. And so I shouldn't say that now. You look you look silly or foolish. Forgive me for the retard comment. Sorry. And so so he looks silly. And so I'm like running. And so Dave comes alongside of me. I'm dripping sweat. And he goes like this. He goes, Edwin, how you doing? <laughs> Silly question. I'm dying, Dave. I'm dying. He goes, Edwin, you're going to finish. I can't finish, Dave. I can't finish. He goes, he goes, Edwin, can you catch up to this woman in front of you? And I was like, I, I think I can. And so, like, I just, like, I, I pick up my pace just a little bit, and I catch up to this lady, right? This, like, 40-year-old lady who was in front of me, right? And I was like, wow, that's great. And then he points out this other guy in front of her. He goes, Edwin, can you catch up to her? And I said, yeah, I think I can do it. And so I started to straighten up. I was like, man. And I was actually, and then there was this, uh, about uh, a quarter of a mile before the race ended, there was a 17-year-old kid who was like really young and strong. And he said, Edwin, can you beat that kid? And I said, yeah, but now this kid wasn't as cool as everybody else. When I passed him, he passed me. And then I passed him. Well, at the end of the race, I'm like full on, like I went from dead to like sprinting as much as I can, running around the, the, the corner of the bend. I come to the end of the race. It was so cool. They were like, here was number 23. And it was like, it was like those dog races. Number 23 running down the thing. And I'm 13. Oh, I won't have it. And so, so it was like this really cool. And it was a ton of people there. It was like a really glorious moment. And I beat that 17-year-old kid. And I'm so happy about that. I was thinking about that today because I was thinking, man, he must have like, you know, man, that must have hurt him. He lost to like, you know, and I was like, I don't care. I won. <laughs> and so here's the thing. When Dave came into the race, he gave me a different way to look at the race that changed the race for me. And honestly, I was as tired and I hurt. I mean, you know, I ran really hard. I ran so hard that I started to dry heave. You know, when you like, you're going to throw up, but you don't got anything in your belly. And so thankfully I didn't have anything in my belly, but I started to convulse like I was going to throw up and all that other stuff. So I really, I was really tired. This wasn't me like faking tired. I was really, my body was telling me this is, you know, I had gone as far as I can go, but I ended that race better than I started that race because someone came alongside of me and gave me a different perspective. They gave me a way to look at the race that was different than the way I was enduring the race. Now, I was probably going to finish the race. I'll be honest with you, because I don't like to quit. You know, I'm one of those guys that I have to faint before I stop, right? And, and my son proved this uh, this summer. I ran like four miles, and then my son ran six. And I was like, oh, so then I ran like seven miles and then he ran like nine. And I was like, oh. so I ran like 9.1 miles and then he ran like 11. And then I ran, like I had to, I had to, I'm just, I'm that guy, right? I can't lose, I don't care, 15, I don't care. I was, true story, I was playing chess with my daughter on the street, you know, those big chess boards, and I'm making fun of her as I'm beating her in chess. That's how bad I am. I'm like this. I'm the guy who goes like this. You're going to hurt. This is going to hurt real bad. And I move the big chest. And a guy actually walked by and called me a jerk. It's true. I'm, I am. And so, um, but it, it was bad and it was wrong. She's like 11 years old and crying. I'm like, I don't care. Checkmate. And so that's me. But what was really cool 
what was really cool about, if you could take your mind off of the chest move, what was really cool is that when I had this different perspective, it made the same very grueling, difficult, hard race. When he changed my perspective, he changed my emotions about the race. And that changed my motivations. So, changed my perspective, the way I looked at things. He changed my emotions, the way I felt about things. And it changed my motivation. How I was, the attitude that I was going to have as I went through this really difficult time. This doesn't just happen in race. You and I have experienced this. Isn't it true? Okay. Let me tell you how you and I, maybe, maybe you haven't experienced this in racing. But isn't it true that you put your date for your um, vacation on your boss's uh, itinerary and then he mails you back or mails you or he gives you a piece of paper and says, yes, you know, your vacation is going to be May, uh, you know, whatever, right? The first week of May, right? Now, you could be super stressed in April, dying in April. But one of the things that happens when you're in the middle of your worst moments is you go, I don't care. In two weeks, in one month, in three months, I'm going on vacation. And because, you're, because you change your perception, or because your perception of what's going on has changed, you can go through. Now, is the work any less? Not at all. Is the stress any less? Not at all. Is the, is the pain any less? Not at all. Is the pay any more? Not at all. Only thing that's changed is your perception of, of this particular job. There's going to be, you young people, some of you are experiencing this now. You go, oh man, these, you know, these tests, these exams, they're really hard, but I'm going away to college. And so, you know, your mom stresses you out and you go, I'm going away to college. Your dad stresses you out. I'm going, this is a universal truth. We all experience this, that you can go through some of the most difficult things in life so long as you can come to terms with, or you can have the right perspective. It's just that way. You can endure times of exercise. You can endure times of study. You can say no to certain people. If you've, this has also happened if you've ever um, had a real bad breakup. Anybody here ever had a real bad breakup? Like, you, right, you dated someone who was like real bad, and like, you know, they said, you know, they said, I'm gone. But you were like, no come back and you were like, you know, right? Anybody here? Right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Some of y'all are getting honest. Okay. Good. Um, well, when you did this, listen to what happened. This is what your friends said to you. Your friends came up, like you were listening to Barry White and you were listening to Luther Vandross and you were listening to all your, right? And your friends would eventually come over, right? Or Hector Lavoe, right? Or whoever, you know, whoever your, your guy was, right? And you're listening, you're listening to this stuff, and you're crying yourself a river, and all this other stuff. And here's what happened. You had a friend that came by and said this. Come on, we're going to go out. Let's go out. And they said something. Now, I, you know, I'm not totally agreeing with the thing. I'm just giving you an example, okay? So it's like, you know, let's go out to a club, and let's, let's go out, let's date, right? And let's, let's find somebody else. Now, they were living this perspective out. Now, in a very weird and not so uh, good way, but the perspective is what they were living out. They were saying, listen, if I could just get your focus off of this person onto this new person, you will feel better about life. You will enjoy yourself more. You're, 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 you will go from gloomy to glad. See, this happens in every area of life. This is so true. This is so true that God put it in his word. That he laid it out in the Bible that there's a perspective, there's an emotion that has to be grabbed in our hearts in order for us to really experience the joy and the freedom that is found in Christ. So there are two things that happen when we, are, when we come to Christ there is an, I'm going to use some $5 words, okay? But just follow me anyway, right? There's an objective truth that happens and a subjective truth that happens. Objective means that you can't argue it. It's true whether you think it's true or not. For instance, these seats are uncomfortable. 
whether you think that's true or not, it's true. No, okay, maybe they're not. But, uh, uh, you know, like, um, this vest is beautiful. Whether you think it's... No, I'm kidding. No, but things like, all right, for instance, this, this, these stairs are wood. That's an objective truth, right? Doesn't matter what your emotions are. Doesn't matter how you feel. That's true, right? What you're sitting in is a chair. That's true, whether you like it or not. See, now here's the thing. There are objective truths about the faith. Objective truths. Whether you believe in them or not, they're true if you've put your faith in Christ. Truths like Christ has, Christ has saved me from uh, having my ticket punched destination hell to my ticket punched destination heaven. He saved me from hell to heaven. He's given me a new life. This is objective truth. You can't argue with it. If you've given your heart to Jesus, this is what happened. I am a new creation. You could have the same dirty nails that you had five minutes before you gave your heart to Jesus, but you are created into something utterly fantastic and new. Listen, I have my sins forgiven by God. This is an an objective truth. You believe in it, you don't believe in it. If you've given your heart to Jesus, this is true. My past has been paid for by Jesus. I have a new lease on life. I have a new purpose. This is an objective truth. Everything I've just said is an objective truth. But isn't it true that you can be walking in Christ and feel really depressed? Has anybody here ever walked in Christ and just been really depressed? Have you ever been here and walked in Christ and just went out and sinned because you thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to get my my needs met by this thing because Christ is not going to meet my needs, right? Has anybody here ever been in Christ? I mean, like, really, you're, you're in Christ. You love Jesus, but you feel empty inside. Like, there's this sense where you just don't feel the joy of the Lord. Now, there's an objective truth that's happening. There's an objective truth. You know what's, what, what hasn't happened? Hasn't happened? The subjective truth of the gospel. Subjective is experiential. It's what you feel. It's what you experience. That's where we're going today. We want to affirm the objective. This is true. This is true whether you agree with it or not. Jesus saves is true whether you agree or not. My sins are forgiven when I become a Christian. is true whether you believe it or not. My, my life is new. I'm born again whether you believe it or not. But what I want you to see is how the Spirit gives us these emotions that change everything, that make you from running the race all messed up to going, I can do this. God has given me the power. We're going from, we're going from the truth of, this is hard. This is not easy. This, I'm, I feel like I'm going to die. But, ah, something happens in the seat of our hearts that changes everything. And we're going to see it in what seems like a really complicated text, but is really screaming what I just said. That there's objective and subjective truth. And God wants to bring us not only to the truth intellectually, but emotionally. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that in marriage this happens all the time? Right? In marriage. You know you're married, right? And, and people say stupid things like, you know, well, I love you. but And, and it means absolutely nothing. And I love you, but I'm not... The next time somebody says that, tell them what does that mean. I love you, but I'm not in love. Let me ask you something. If I go, love you, what do you think? Wow, that's great. Loves me, right? If I go, in love with you, what do you think? Oh, that's It means absolutely nothing. You get that for free. That's not in the notes. It's just wanted you to... Now, watch this. Here's the, here's the piece. You can be married and not... And absolutely love the person that you're with... I mean, what I mean by that is sacrifice for them, care for them, think of them, consider them, but not have the emotions that come along with it. 
you know, those sort of bubbly feelings that you had when you were like, you know, six months into the relationship, right? That feels so powerful. And this happens in marriage. And this may happen in your walk in Christ. In fact, it will. And so Christ says, no, 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 I want your, I want the truth of the gospel to meet your emotions. Now, when I was preparing, and I'm going to speak a lot about emotions today and about feelings and about all this other stuff, but I get nervous when I speak about this stuff because and then we live in such a society that everything is a feeling. Everything is a feeling. Well, if you feels right, do it. You know, and if it's, you know, and you know what, you know what the barter for truth, the, the, the standard for truth is? The standard for truth is, isn't it, is not, is it in God's word? Does God say it's true? That's not the standard for truth. You know what the standard for truth is? Does it feel good to me? And I, I just want us to be so far away from that. I want us to be in God's word. But God really does want to grab our emotions. So, with that, we're going to go to uh, chapter 4, verse, seven, uh, verse 1 in Galatians. And I'm just really excited about this. This is going to be really great. Okay. What I am saying, and Paul, let me just say, if you're here for the first time, I should have said this. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We love you. We've been in the series on Galatians for a bit now. And so we've we sort of laid down the groundwork. If you want to find out what Galatians is going coming from, and like, you can listen to any one of our podcasts. Um, it's on... You can also, we have CDs at the end of the service. Those you have to purchase because that actually we have to buy and we have to replenish. So those you can purchase, they're almost nothing. They're like $3. I think they're two for five. Heard of that anywhere? Um, So, um, okay, maybe not you. But, um, okay. Uh, But we also have them on our internet. If you go to um, nbtbrooklyn.org, nbtbrooklyn.org, you can also listen to the sermons there. And so... You know, you, there's great places that you can go and pick it up. But right now, it's, it's sufficient to know that there's this guy. His name is uh, Paul. His title is apostle. He's an apostle, which means messenger or sent one. And so Paul is, is writing a letter to people who have heard the gospel, embraced the gospel, and now are going back into religion and law and rule-keeping. And he's saying, no, it's about this beautiful dance with God. It's about this beautiful salsa with God where he's leading and we follow and beautiful things can happen. And so it's in that context that we're reading this. Now, Paul has already made his point that you're Abraham's seed. And he's just going to illustrate this um, uh, throughout this passage. And in, so you'll see what I mean in a second. Verse uh, 1. What I'm saying is, that's because Paul was talking for three chapters before this. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Paul it goes back to an illustration that he uses. And this is not really, <clears throat> it's not really, you know, it's not something that we hear about a lot today. Um, or, or at all, really. Um, when the child is, is a young person, they're the heir of the estate. In other words, they own the whole thing, right? But they're treated, in Paul's day, they were under the guardianship of, uh, well, of tutors and guardians and slaves. And so the, the, even though I, if, you had, if I'm a rich person and my kid is right next to me, and that kid... Uh, you know, he's under the guardianship of my slaves at that time. My, and, and, you know, and so, yeah, he's under the guardianship of that slave. And so he has to do what that slave says, and he has, there are certain things that he has to do. But there's a date, and then the Bible says, let's read on. Um, well, I'll read the whole verse one again. What I'm saying is that as long as there as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is, verse 2, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In other words, so the father says, okay, I want you to be under these sort of tutors to grow up, to go to school, to learn, to do these things in order that when you become at the right age, you know, you get the whole estate and all that other stuff. Now, uh, so we're not going to look too much on that. That's just his illustration to prove the point that he's trying to make. So also, when we were children, 
We were in slavery under the principles of the world. Well, what were we in slavery? Listen, you were a slave unto the idea of having to perform in order to be in God's good graces. Some of us still live this way. Some of us still walk around where we think that in order to get in God's presence, in fa- we think, listen to me, we think that if we just pray fervently enough, the presence of God will come. That if we do right enough, the presence of God will come. It all depends on my motivation, my spirit. my de- and, and you know what? That's under religion. And Paul wants to free us from that. And we think that if we shout louder, if we become more fervent, if we become... Now, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if you're praying, you know, that's awesome. Get, get excited about that. I get excited when I pray, you know. Um, if you're shouting out to God, nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me say that. But what I am saying is that if you think that God is closer to you because of what you do or have done, then you've missed the point of what God is trying to t- teach us in Galatians and everywhere else in the Bible. And it's that you don't have to. You don't have to pony up. Here's how you know you're still stuck in religion. If when you blow it, you find it tough to come to church, you know you're stuck in religion. If when, if when you blow it with your child or your friend, or your spouse, or your employer, if you blow it with them, and you, you don't feel like you can go back up to that person and say, you know what, I was completely wrong, forgive me for that. If there's something in you that says, don't do that, you're stuck in religion. If there's something in you that says, if when you sin, you feel like you have to make yourself pay, and the way you make yourself pay is by whatever you do to make yourself pay, and you're stuck in religion. Paul is saying, but, but when we, before we came to Christ, we were stuck under these rules. We were stuck under this sort of law. We were stuck. And you know what? If you do good, God loves you. And if you don't do good, God doesn't love you. And, and we were in these sort of prisons of religion. And Paul says, this is what it was like. We were like, we, were, we had all of this that we could have had but we didn't take advantage of it. We were like heirs to a great fortune. We had all of this, but we didn't because we were under the tutors. There, uh, he is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Verse 4. But when the time had fully come, here's what I want you to hear. There are two things that are going to be sent. I'm going to read the, 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 the three verses, or just a little bit of the three verses, and I want you to see it. But when the time had come, God, everybody say sent, sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under, under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Look, there's something glorious and marvelous and wonderful happening here that I want you to see. One is objective. One is true whether you believe it or not. The other is subjective and it's emotional and it's a gift from God as well. And it's just as beautiful. Watch this. Verse 4. But when the time had fully come... God sent his son. So who did God send? His son. Born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those under the law. Why did God send his son? To redeem. He wanted to get you back. Have you ever done that? You know, you've done this, haven't you? You go, you go into the newspaper and you open up and you see a coupon. Right? And it says... If you bring this coupon in, you can redeem a brand new toaster or a burger or um, like, the, you know, 
they had this thing over here that if you just waited online, there was an ice cream store that opened up around here. I, what, what was the name of the store, Chris? It was, uh, I'm, I'm, not Chris, I'm doing Chris. What, what was the name of the store? Um, the, the store, the ice cream store? Uh, ben and Jerry's. It's the anointed ice cream. And so we went, right? And they were having, and they had flyers, and they said, if you want to redeem this, this gift that we have for you, just come, wait on this line, and we'll give you any flavor, one scoop. And you, Now watch this. God does this with us, except there's nothing, there's no Ben and Jerry's that he's looking for. God redeems us. He buys us back. He says, I will pay for you. I will buy you. I will get you back to myself. God redeemed us to himself. Listen, that means when you're walking around, you can preach the gospel to yourself. You can say, God, you're wonderful and you're great because you redeemed me, because you've loved me, because you've drawn me to yourself. God, this marriage, as painful as it is, you're going to, you're going to work in it because you have a heart for marriages. You have a, a place in your, you want this marriage to succeed, and I want this marriage to succeed too. And so, you know, you preach the gospel to yourself. Jesus died. There was a point and time. Jesus, born of a virgin, born under law, died for your sins rose on the third day, ascended to the Father. This is true no matter how you feel. The Son was sent to give us an objective truth to buy an unredeemable people and redeem them for himself. Wow. But now, and here's where we're going to spend most of our time today. Verse, um, verse 6. Because you are sons. Listen to me. Listen to me. Because you are sons. Because you've been born. I don't want you to think, well, I have to feel it. Then God will do this for me. No, 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 no. You don't. I remember I was, um, I was in the, uh, a, a dinner table. And, and this woman had been coming to this church. And she serves here now. And she had been coming to this church for months and months and months and months. And her husband loved Jesus and he wanted her to love Jesus. And, he, and she said, but I don't feel anything when I come to church. When I come to church, I don't have these emotions that my husband has. I don't have these sort of bubbly feelings going on inside of me that my husband has. And it was a great moment. I got to be able to say, you don't have to feel that. It's true whether you feel it or not. It was a beautiful moment. And that might, by the way, free up some of you. You think, well, God is a feeling. I have to feel this. No, no, no. Because of the Son. Because the Son has come. Let's read that. Let's see that together. Because you are sons. Because God has redeemed you. Because God has bought you. Because God has forgiven your sin. Because God has done the work. Because God went to the cross because God was born of a virgin, because God lived a sinless, perfect life, because God died for you, because God uh, rose from the dead, because God ascended to the Father to make a place for you and intercedes for you, because God did all of this stuff. And you say, but I'm not, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I, I deserve this. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I don't, I don't merit the favor of God. Listen, because God did it. Not because you do it. Not because you feel it. Not because you're perfect. Listen, listen. Because God did it. But I'm such a screw-up. God knows. Nobody's arguing that. But because God did it. You can, you can know Jesus. But, but I don't believe with my whole heart. It's not Jesus plus your believing with your whole heart. It's Jesus because God did it. But, but I, just, I just sinned really bad just before I got here sometime this week. So just, listen, listen. Because, I wonder if you're getting the point. Because God. 
Because you're sons of God. Because you said, Jesus, come into my heart. You did it all. I don't do anything. Just come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Because God did this for you. Because God... Verse 6. Because you are sons... Listen to what God does. God sent His Spirit. God sent the Spirit of His Son where? Into our hearts. Let me ask you something. Let's read. Let's go back to verse 4. Uh, but when the time had fully come, God sent His Son. Where did God send His Son? Into the world. When the Son did His work, where did God send His Spirit? Into our hearts. Not into the world. Into our hearts. Listen, God did not send the Spirit into the muscle that pumps blood into our system to make sure that we live. God didn't send... When when the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks about the seat of our affections, the seat of our emotions, where we make decisions from, that place where we really live, that place where, where you think and you process and you emote and you feel and you act. That is the place that the Bible calls the heart. It's not the muscle that pumps blood throughout your body and that if you clog the arteries, you could lose your life. That's not the muscle. That's not the place that God sends it. God sends it to the place where you live with your emotions. And he says, I sent the spirit, God says. And by the way, if you're not sure if Jesus is God, um, in five other places in the Bible, and, and, and you know, in several other places you see God sent the Spirit. And in several other places you see Jesus sent the Spirit. Is that a contradiction? Not at all. You know why? Jesus is God. And so God sent the Spirit because there was something that He wanted you. He didn't want you to do life. He didn't want you to do marriage. He didn't want you to do relationships. He didn't want you to do where, where your heart feels empty and like you know where you just like you're you're spent and you're lonely and you look for other things to make you feel better well if only he would give me the affection that i so long then maybe my life will be whole well if only if only i could just hit the number then maybe my life will be full maybe if i just you know had this particular body or 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 had this kind of procedure done or if i had more you know money or if I could only drive around and if I could only if there's something else then my life would be fulfilled and God says no 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 I've given you everything that you need because I sent the spirit not into the world to do an objective truth but into your hearts to do a subjective truth there is a spirit there is an emotion there is a joy there's an exuberance there's a there's a happiness there's a freedom there's now is 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 the race long yeah is is it tough yeah but ooh 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 the spirit ooh the spirit there's god not only has put me in the affections of his heart he's put him in the affections of mine. Wow. This means and changes everything. Listen, listen. That means, listen, if you're, lo- if you're lonely and you're going through it, to, and, and man, you got a good reason to be lonely, right? You know, your boss doesn't understand you and, and quite frankly, your, 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 your spouse is not giving you what you need. God, God did something in your heart. And he gave it to you. It's a gift. Toma. Merry crema. It's a gift. It's a gift for you. Beloved, it's a gift for the person sitting in your seat. He says, listen. Listen to what he says. Verse 6. Because, because you are sons. Because now remember, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're missing out on a huge component of this. You need to know Jesus. To ask him to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you your sins. But if you have received Jesus, this is awesome. Listen, because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. For what purpose? 
the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The spirit that calls out, Woo, you are awesome. The spirit that calls out in a heart, The spirit, the spirit that grabs our emotions and says, why was I trying to say, the spirit, listen, you know what it's like? It's like being a little kid and being, and never knowing what apple pie tastes like and being satisfied in the playground eating dirt. And then someone comes up to you and says, your mama made a great apple pie. No, thanks. I think I'll just eat the dirt. There's something more beautiful for you. Listen. God sent, God sent his spirit into our hearts by which the spirit cries, Abba, Bobby. This word, Abba, is, and you know, it, it just, it, it, it's like a, a sort of a, a euphemism. It's, um, in America, we, we say daddy, right? Um, where I'm from, we say Bobby, right? Um, so you go, so the spirit cries, Bobby. You ever have a kid? You ever, you ever have a kid just see a kid run up to his, his uh, father when he comes home? Now, unless that kid is trained or taught or somehow forced to believe that his father's going to do him harm, that my, my kids, <laughs> at, they still do this on occasion, although they get into the age. We're, we're gonna, Liz, we're going to have more kids so that we can still have this happen more and more. I thought you should know. Um, but no, we have like four kids, right? And there was a, listen, listen, listen. There was a, there, there's a time where they go, and listen, this is what I hear. Bobby! You know, they sing that out. Bobby! And then they run, and then I'm walking up the stairs, and they run, and they jump. They run and jump at me. Like, I, if I went like this, good night. One day I was always, you know, because I think this way. I go, what would happen if I went, but I'm not going to do it. But it's just because it would be funny for me, but it would scar them for life. So maybe I won't do it. But, uh, but they jump. They jump. Listen, listen. Nobody has to come up to them and tell them. Nobody. Nobody has to come up to them and tell them, you know, you should feel better about your father that he just came home. His affection and his kisses, his hugs and his love, his care for you and his, his listening to you, his, his wonder about you and pouring into you. You know, you should feel better about that. Nobody has to. You know, what, you know how it comes out? Bobby! And then they run. It affects the way they act. It affects the way they behave. Why? What is it? They know that something, someone who loves them deeply, I just had an experience like this just yesterday. I don't get an opportunity to talk to my, um, my, my earthly father very often. He lives in the Dominican Republic, and, you know, it's just one of those relationships. You have one of those relationships where you know it should be more than it is, but it's not, and you're just sad about that. And so it was his birthday on the 8th, on January the 8th, and I didn't call, and I couldn't even figure out why I didn't call. Am I the only one who struggles with stuff like this, with relationships? I couldn't even figure out why I didn't call. And it's like my sister called me, I mean, texted me and said, Edwin, it's Bobby's birthday. You need to, you know, give him a call. But I called him yesterday. And I called him and I said, hey, and, and I, I'll be honest with you. When I called him, I kind of expected. Here's, all right, here's what was going on in my mind. Can I be honest with you? Can we talk? Okay. I, in my mind, my, I said, he's going to ask me, why didn't I call him on Thanksgiving? Why didn't I call him for Christmas? Why didn't I call him for his birthday? Where have you been? Are your fingers broken? Uh, you know, he's going to do all the stuff that happens. And then, you know, he has a wife now. And she's going to say, well, where have you been? What have you been up to? And I'm going to have to, like, figure out a lie that I can convince myself is not really a lie. You know what I mean? Well, I've been really busy. I mean, so busy that you can't dial 10 numbers. Maybe not that busy. But, you know, like, you know, I just have to, you know, talk myself into, right? Like, I know I'm the only guy who goes through this stuff, but you can listen. I can't afford a psychiatrist, so you're there. So there you are. So I'll confess it to you. And so she, narrated, she got on the phone, 
And she was so happy to hear from me. I mean, she was really elated to hear from me. You got to understand, I'm not, I'm not a good son. Right? And so I just... There was something inside of me that was like, wow. They like me. And then, I was, but I was still kind of scared because, you know, I didn't call for the birthday. I didn't call for Thanksgiving. I didn't call for the New Year's. I didn't call for the birthday. I didn't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you know, so. And then he got on the phone. He said, and he, all right, so this is the way he calls me white boy. Um, just so you know, y'all can't call me white boy. He's the only guy who can call me white boy, just so you know. So he goes, hey, white boy. And he goes, and he goes, and it's a long, long uh, illustration that I, I'm not even going to go into. But, yeah, so he calls me white boy. He goes, hey, white boy, how you doing? And I said, man, I was like, you call me white boy. I don't know. That just has warm, fuzzy connotations to me. That doesn't mean anything to you. It feels like home to me. You know, like they call you muñequito or they call you, you know, lindo. They call, you know, they have the little... You know, the little thing for you. Mine's is not, you know, muñequito. Mine's is white boy. What can you do, right? <laughs> and it just, and we started to talk, and we talked for like 20 minutes. We talked for like 20 minutes. And I was loved. And I was nurtured. You know what made it so hard for the phone call? Because I didn't perform the duties of a son. I didn't do all the things that I was supposed to do. And because of that, I felt like I was going to get. You ever like that with God? Where you feel like you just can't go to, like, like he's not going to go. He's not going to go, hey, white girl. Hey, white boy. Like, like he's going to go, well, where, where were you last Sunday? And do you think that I didn't see? What you, and this is why some of you don't pray. Let me tell you something. If you look in the heart of God, you know what you'll see? Your face. If you look in the place of deep affections and deep love of God, you know what you'll see? Longing. My dad just missed that I called him. He just wanted to know I was okay. Wouldn't it be neat if throughout your life and mine, and, you know, let's just say that this is God's heart, right? And it, it wouldn't it be neat if throughout your life and mine, if we could peer into God's heart and see our face. And go, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm in the center of God's heart. That's funny until you think about it enough to make you cry. I'm, he thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. He's absolutely crazy about me. He can't get enough of me. He heard what I had to say yesterday and he wants to hear what I have to say today. He is like a love-struck 16-year-old who just found the love of his life. He's God. Wouldn't it be neat if you could believe that? What would it change about your relationship with God? How would it change your relationship with others? Because if you're deeply loved by God and you're not loved by anybody else, who cares? Right? Like if you're, think about how this affects your loneliness. If I'm deep in the heart of God, you know why? Listen to me. Because your perceptions affect your emotions. So how do we grow in this? How do we, now, let me finish and, and he just says something in verse 7. He says this. So, so, since we know this is true, he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Imagine, imagine if you could go away from believing that you're a slave, that you're a servant. God, I just, I just, I, I, I don't really want to be treated as a son. Just give me, just give me enough of you so that I can say that, you know, I, I'll just serve you. I'll just do for you. And some of you will still find yourself serving just to see if you can get God to like you. And God says, no. You're in the center 
my affections. You're in the depths of my heart. I can't get enough of you. But I'm such a mess up. I know, God says. And God says, I know you're a mess up more than you do. Like, I know the things that in your heart that you've messed up and you sinned against that you still haven't acknowledged. And that you still haven't confessed. And that you still don't believe. And that you still justify yourself with. All of that. And God says, I love you with a radical love. It'll change the way you deal with God. It'll change the way you deal with others. It'll change everything. How? How then can we grow in this affection for God? How can our affection, okay, so, all right, so this, this thing is good, right? Like, we want our emotions to, you can't will it. You can't just go, I'm going, you know, I'm just going to feel that God loves me, and I'm just going to feel that God is with me. Listen to me. When you go on that next job interview, if you really believe this, you'll go in there with such a confidence because the king is with you. Your boss's boss is with you. I don't care if it was the CEO of General Electric. Your boss's boss is in there with you. You see, and, and, and well, how can I, how can I uh, talk to my spouse? You know, it's, it, listen, you can go in there with confidence and brokenness and humility, knowing that your counselor is with you. If you see, if we really believe that God is with us, if we really believe, hey, listen, how can you confess that sin unto your, won't they think less of you? God thinks I'm the best thing since sliced bread. So I can, conf- listen to me. Listen to me. It's why I can confess to you that I lie sometimes. It's why I can confess to you that I, uh, I'm not the son that I should be. It's why, listen, because no matter what you think of me, God thinks I'm marvelous. He's crazy about me. God thinks that I am the best thing since sliced bread. God, listen, I am the apple of his eye. Not because I preach, not because I help other people, not because, listen, listen, because of what a son has done. So how can we grow in this? Here's here's what we can do. I'm going to give you a process by which you can grow. I want you to mix scripture with your prayer. Here's what I mean by this. When you make scripture in your prayer, it's called a devotion. It's called having time of devotion. When we pray, a lot of times our prayers can be reduced down to a sort of a punch list. God, would you give me? Can you give me? Will you? Uh, And by the way, forgive me for this, and I'm sorry about that. And oh, and can you look out for so-and-so, and and can you heal so-and-so, and and can you help so-and-so? And it's like, listen, 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 listen. If you don't want that dude to be your God anymore... You're gonna ha- your affections are going to have to change from that dude to your God. If you don't want money to be your God anymore, your affections are going to have to change from your money to your God. And the way that's going to happen is that you're going to open up Scripture and you're going to allow God to speak to you through Scripture and your affections, not because you force them to, your affections are going to naturally grow to God. Isn't it true? Like, you, Think about this. The first day that you met your spouse, you probably... Or the first day that you met that person that you love so much. You pr- I remember the first time I looked at all of my children. Now, I loved them, you know, as soon as I watched them. But I was like, wow, they look like little Winston Churchills. Little mini Winston Churchills, right? It's like these little short, fat, little roly-poly, bald little creatures, right? And so I was like, wow, that's interesting. Um, it doesn't look like that in the movies. And so, you know, I was like 18 at the time. So I was like, wow. But I don't know where I was going with that. But when God sees us, that's what it is. But when God sees us, when God sees us, he's absolutely enamored, and he loves us perfectly. Now, the love that I have for my children now, because I've gotten to know them, and they've gotten to know me, is light years beyond what it was that very first day. Listen to me. As you start getting to know God, your 
affections for him. Again, we're not talking about salvation here. We're not talking about the objective truth. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for your sins. You're born again. He rose on the third day, ascended to the Father, creates a place for you in heaven. So even if cancer has its last word here on this earth, it's not the last word. You get heaven. Even if uh, the, the, the relationship ends in divorce, it doesn't end here because there's a reunion in heaven. Even if you die and, and there's not hope for, you know, there's hope in heaven. So there's heaven. So understand that. that there's, but listen to me. As we open up the scriptures and we open up God's word, listen to just what we just read. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Let's think about that for a second. God, do you mean for me? Like, will you not be like a, just a bigger example of my earthly poppy, but will you be a perfect example to my earthly poppy? Like, are you a perfect poppy that wants to live in me? Man, you think about that long enough, and tears will start streaming down your face. You think about that long enough. As you, now watch this. What I've traditionally have done when I've um, done my devotionals is I studied God's word and then I went into prayer as if they were two separate things. Here's what I'm going to teach you how to do. I want you to go into God's word and pray it through and pray. I mean, listen, I'm, let, let's pick something right out. First Corinthians 10, 13. Let's just going to pick it out. I'm just going to give you an example of this. First Corinthians 10, 13. You're not going to see it on the screen, I don't think. Watch this. Look at how precious this is. 10.13. No. Now watch this. How does this change? Watch this. Let's say, for instance, you're in the place where you say, I got to go back to that thing. I got to do that thing. I got to go back to that person. I've got to. Why? Because I can't help myself. Not true. Not true. Watch this. Look at how this works. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Do you mean, God, I'm not a freak? You mean I'm not unique? You mean everybody's going through this? Oh, God, that means so much to me because I thought that I was all alone in this. I thought, you see how your prayer and you're just your affection start. You mean I'm not... I'm not the only one who's running around being promiscuous and making mistakes that are hurting me, looking for love in all the wrong places. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's surfing more than waves. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who has hidden bitterness in my heart, hidden jealousies in my heart. I'm not the only one who feels like they're the only person in the world. And that nobody cares for me. I'm not the only one. Wow. Man, God, that means so much to me. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You mean, God, you're going to fight for me? Do you mean that you're going to pick up a bow and an arrow? You're going to pick up a staff and a shield? And you're going to go to battle? with this thing called temptation? You're going to fight for me? You're going to fight for, for my clear conscience? You're going to fight so that I can walk in joy? You're going to fight for me? You're going to stand in the gap of my longings and my desires that are not of you so that I can experience more of you? You're going to fight for me? I don't know what that does to you. It makes me want to love him more. I just, I, like... If he was here, I would kiss him on his nose. He's my, and he's here. And so my emotions, my affections, my heart, they go out to him. No temptation that sees you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You mean God... You're never going to give me 10 tons of temptation on my 8-ton frame? You're not going to give me more than I can handle? You're going to give me a way out that you're going to... You know what it reminds me of? 
it reminds me, like whenever I go through great temptations, sometimes I get this image in my head. Of, remember those cartoons, right? There's a door, but the walls are closing in, right? And you, somebody either puts a broom or, you know, if it's Superman, you know, he puts his hands up and everybody runs out. And it's like, and, and you couldn't stop this onslaught. You couldn't stop this crushing feeling uh, from going. You can't stop that, but you have something greater stopping. He goes, everybody run out. He provides that way out, kicks open the door, holds the, the pressures. Wow. And he runs out. And we run out. And we get to experience freedom. And he takes the pressure. And we experience the freedom and the joy. Listen. Good news. God has sent his son. And if he would have just done that, that would have been enough. But he didn't stop there. He sent the Spirit. Wow. So I can rejoice when I go through my depression. I go, God, are you really? Do you? Are you? You know what I do when I go through my depression? Sometimes I close my eyes. And as I'm crying, I, in my mind's eye, uh, an affectionate thing at that moment would be, you know, an abrazo. Not an abrazo, but uh, just, uh, you know, to, to just stroke the back of my head. And sometimes when my head is down, I think of not... Now watch this. I imagine Jesus with his nail-scarred hands just going, not telling me, you shouldn't feel that way. You're a Christian. You're... No, just going, hey, you're loved. Even when you're down, you're loved. Even when you feel like you're nothing, you're something. You're more than all the jewels of the world. And I feel him. What does that do to you when you think about that? It it puts the fire in your heart. It makes you long for more of Jesus. I don't have to at this point go, now go and read your Bibles. Now go and think of Jesus. You just want to because he fulfills the deepest longings of our hearts. And he does it because he sent his spirit to live in your affections. My prayer for you. Listen, we're going to listen to a song called Amazing Love. And then Chris is going to come up and he's going to share some closing remarks. Actually, I'm going to come up and share some closing remarks and then Chris is going to come up. But listen, it's amazing love. And so, since you've been sitting for a really long time, I want us all to sing this song together and then I'm going to come back up and tell you what I want you to do. But I want you to stand with me and I want you to see amazing love. How can it be that you my king would die for me. What are you doing? You're focusing on the gospel. And that he would die for you. And it means everything. And this affection is the way you grow in all affections. By getting more and more exposed to the one you have the affection for. Right? The more and more you get with your friends, the more and more you love them, the more and more you get with your spouse and you have wonderful conversations and deep, the more and more you love them, the more you connect with your children and, and be vulnerable with them and they're vulnerable with you and you just enjoy that fellowship. Listen, listen, listen. Same with the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow, as you're opening up your Bibles, because, and I know you want to, I know you don't think you have the time, but you do. Watch this. I want you to just... Open up to the book of Psalm. Not complex, not, not deep. And as you read the first, just read the one chapter. But I want you to read it three, four times. And I want you to read, listen, listen, listen. I want you to hear, I want you to read it until you start hearing God say your name. When you start reading those scriptures and you hear you put your name in there. And it's like, oh, but God. And if you're, if you're in Christ and it says the righteous, even though you don't feel like the righteous, put your name there because you're righteous, not because of what you do or done, because of what Christ has done and what he does in your heart. See, it's his work. So as you're reading the scripture, I want you to fall in love and long for him more and more. If you're going to do that, there's this yellow card that should have been in your bulletin. I want you to just write this simple thing. I'm going to let you sit down in a second. I'm going to let you write. I want you to write. Spending time with him. Just something as simple as that. Spending time with him. And watch this. 
your perspective will change. And if your perspective changes, your emotions will change. And you'll still be on that same hard race, but you'll be running it better than you ever have. Because He does the work in you. He sent His Spirit, not into this world, into your heart. Rejoice. Father, I thank You for sending Your Son. Something, Lord, I don't know that I would be able to believe that You sent Your Spirit into my heart if we didn't know for a fact, historically, that you sent your son into the world. So we thank you, Lord, for sending your son into the world, a time and a place, an event, a life that he lived, an action that he did, that we can look historically, and no one can deny, because it is a historical fact. And then, Lord, I'm glad that in these same couple of verses, in the same paragraph, you said, just as surely as you sent them, your, your son into the world, you sent the Spirit into our hearts. Lord, when I look at my heart, I, I sometimes don't believe that, but I look into your word and I can trust that. And so, thank you for making me a new creation. Thank you for giving me an intimacy that I can't even imagine. Thank you for giving me yourself. And you rock. Thank you for sending your spirit into our hearts so that we collectively within our hearts tomorrow morning as we look into your word and pray and seek your face. Lord, I pray that even before that book closes, we might shout, Abba, Father, Papi, Father, because you are. Thank you for your word and thank you for this time. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.